The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. And Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil. Grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in Northern Victoria. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Wilson, come on down. Walkley Award winner, Life Achievement Award, and she's our podcast friend and my very dear friend and my bridesmaid and my desk buddy. Uh, what else have we done together? Scrabble partner. I had no warning of this, Drinking partner. Oh, Joel just rustled that up, Carol. Oh, they're beautiful. Oh, my Here heavens. Some flowers. Roses. I'm sorry, I, going away from the mic to accept. Oh, Corrie, I picked them this morning. No, not really. Um, but thank you to they the are local absolutely florist. Absolutely beautiful. Carol, thank you, you deserve it. For everybody who doesn't know, uh, two weeks ago in Sydney, Caroline Wilson received the Walkley Award tribute, an, a remarkable achievement, uh, the 2023 Walkley Award for outstanding contribution to journalism, a an award that she shared with. Wait for it. This is like Australian journalism's royal family of women. Kate McClymont, sorry, Kate McClymont, Pamela Williams, Joanne McCarthy, Carla Grant, Marion Wilkinson, Colleen Ryan, Geraldine Doog, and your good self. It was an Yay! enormous honour. Thanks, Corrie. Yep. It was um, obviously I'd known about it for a while and um, it was an interest. it was a fabulous night and I was overwhelmed, particularly... You know, a couple of people said, oh, eight, eight women. But that actually made it even more of an honour because of the calibre of the people I was receiving it with. And um, the history of the decision to award eight Outstanding Career Achievement Awards was, um, I think, uh, the current chairman, Adele Ferguson, was horrified to see only five women out of 26 or seven awards had actually gone to women. Adele since, herself should be a worthy winner very since, soon, I would Well, as, as I think, I can't remember which one it was. Maybe it was um, Pam Williams saying, imagine receiving an award from um, from Adele Ferguson. Um, but um, And they just decided they needed to redress the balance. So it was great. It was a wonderful night. Um, unfortunately for me, I was the last one to achieve the award. So I wouldn't Alphabet, say... Alphabetical order, of course. Oh, no, that wasn't... It was just that it meant there was, you know... I, couldn't have a drink. <laughs> Jokes. Did um, all eight women make a speech? We were all given a minute. Wow. Some stuck to the budget. Some went under. A couple went over. over. I didn't. Um, it didn't matter. Look, it was um, – and there was a lot of awards before and then there was four leading up to dinner, then there was dinner and then there was four afterwards. I was actually on a table with Colleen um, Ryan and her husband and, and her kids' family, which was really exciting. Um, a couple of really other interesting people, a couple of your old mates from the Australian, and um, quite near the age table, which was great to be near them. Um, great to see Chris Masters and Nick McKenzie have an award named in their honour. And just they, they just said we had, to, we had to think of something to award them for what they've done this year. 
I think, did I see the entire room stand up and give them a standing ovation except the Channel 7 table? Just oh, saying. Um, but no, look, it was it was quite overwhelming and there was a really lovely moment at the end of the night. Brendan and I were leaving. <clears throat> Brendan came up. Brendan gave up his um, golf breakup. <laughs> what a guy. And he was, look, it was great to have him there. It was so nice to have him there. And um, as we were leaving, we ran into Kate McClymont and Joanne McCarthy and we did a photo. It was at a big function centre on Darling Harbour out next to a Christmas tree. I think... Um, uh, Angela Bishop, who was leaving with us, took the photo and it was just, it was all a very touchy-feely, lovely moment. Of, well, we, yeah, we, it was we, great. we put something on the Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account and, of course, as you can imagine, it's it's gone off with lots of bouquets and lots of praise from our listeners. Thank you, everybody, who fed into that. And we put, in, put on a few photos of, as well. Caro um, has taken her tiara off, but she had the full regalia on on the night. You looked... You looked like a Brownlow night, and you said well, that some, black pe- tie, some people were saying um, <clears throat> podcast. Yeah, a couple of podcast fans came up, which was, oh, I mean, it happens a bit in Melbourne, but not so often in Sydney. But yeah, quite a few people came up and said they really enjoy the podcast. Others who didn't were told about it. <laughs> <laughs> Must get on and, to this thing. And no, I was. Look, I did. It was a bit like um, turning 50 or 60. It's, you know, two days of text messages from people you haven't heard of from years, lovely old friends, people I knew back in the day of, you know, covering British Opens over in the UK in the 80s. Um, caught up with people I haven't seen for years. Had a great catch up with John Lyons. Our friend who also won a big international award, just even being at the Walk- <clears throat> Walkleys and looking at, you know, they do the year in review. The ABC did one, SBS did one, I think Sky News did one. You just go, what a year! It has been a huge what year. What a year! And it, and, it, and, it, and it's not stopping. But just on uh, tributes and acknowledgements and <clears throat> celebrations, of course, we had Coco, youngest daughter, Coco's thirtieth birthday. It was the festival of Coco, as you can imagine. It seemed to go on for days and days. But she and Charlie threw a a, a little party, but it was a dress-up party. You know how I hate dress-ups. Well, I have completely changed. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. I have completely changed my view on dress-up parties. I am a convert after all these years. I love them. The theme was Studio 54, and we hosted it, or they hosted it, uh, in uh, – Lib, my daughter-in-law's office in Smith Street, she actually has um, a part of her um, office. They actually call it the Smith Street Studio. It's available for hire. Fabulous space. And it really did feel like you, you're up the, up the old stairs. It really felt like a Studio 54 kind of thing. And um, so, so the theme was 70s, not hard for us to, to go back there in a heartbeat. But of course, the young were going through op shops and parents' wardrobes and things. And a couple of Coco's oh. friends arrived early. And they asked, could, could they do anything to help? And I said, guys, I forgot to get the ice. Would you mind going? There's a Woolies over the road in Smith Street. Could you go and get it? And they came back and I said, look, I'm so sorry. I realise, of course, you're in the full regalia. And they said, oh, around here, nobody really noticed. We just <laughs> blended in. With the sparkles. Oh, how gorgeous. Dear Coco. It was great. So, it, so that was the reason why, of course, I could not be with you in Sydney. I had wanted to. It was the same night as Coco's birthday. but um, And you were a Walkley's judge, so you could have I was a judge, gone. so I had a free seat 
and um, and I could have. But anyway, I was um, toasting you from afar, Kaz. So well done, you. Thanks, uh, Corrie. Now, thank of, you. And thank you for the flowers, Corrie and they're, Joel. They're pretty beautiful. Um, they, they are pretty they beautiful. Are. And the lady told me they've just been, well, she said picked this morning. I think she's probably picked them from the market, but they look really beautiful. So lots on the show and uh, including we're going to have a special guest, Sean from Cobram Estate is coming in with a recipe, Caro, and of course, Miles from Prince Wine Store will be in as well to talk wine in a minute. But just talking about the first uh, the first week of summer, which, where was it this time last week, we were wondering, and suddenly this week it's very beautiful and wonderful. But you mentioned big stories of the year, Carol. It has, it never stops. I always find December such a busy month in the news cycle, and I often wonder why so many of the news services go on leave at this time, because it's just so crazy. I know, and we'll, and we're going to talk about Neil Mitchell in a minute, but there's a a famous story about Neil Mitchell that whenever he goes on holidays, a major story breaks and he has to come back. And it's happened so many times. I don't think he's a really red hot keen flyer anyway, so he's usually not that far away. But um, it's amazing how often they happen over school holidays and over summer. You're absolutely right. Um, and let's hope Let's hope this summer there's no stories about floods and bushfires. There will certainly be stories about war because war internationally is continuing and it's very perplexing and it's certainly having a big impact on Australia as well. But um, the other, it's funny, we're sitting here today and it's just been announced, I think the age broke a story to time coded on a Tuesday morning that King Charles will be visiting Australia next October with Camilla. First, is it the first time an actual reigning king has been in this country? King George oh. came here as a prince, but he came here as a prince. As a Duke no, of we've, York. no, and and George the fifth and George the sixth didn't come. So yes, this would be the first time. Think, yeah. So anyway, uh, as a, and there's a big Commonwealth event nearby, so they've obviously timed it with that. The last time Camilla came to Australia, I think, was in during the Commonwealth Games in. Brisbane? Were they held in Brisbane a few years ago? I reckon she looked pretty bored and didn't hang around all that long. Face like a twisted sash. Yeah, didn't really want to be here. And we also sit here today knowing the Commonwealth Games. I never really thought that Gold Coast attempt was ever, it was a bit of a claim by the mayor, a bit of publicity, wasn't really going to happen. So they're they're off. Will they survive? I just don't know if they will now. Well, I was really interested in the reports on the on the Com Games, and so not so uh, so after Melbourne after Victoria pulled out, uh, the the um, as you said the the Gold Coast Mayor Tom Tate came in and said, "Oh, we'll have them because we have all the infrastructure from a couple of years ago," and it was a seven hundred million dollar proposal, much scaled down, and um, and as we know, they've pulled the pin because they can't get any state or federal funding, and and it was and the Gold I, Coast who had them last time. Sorry, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, two two times before because Birmingham before that, yeah. but. Carol, there were one of the things I, I read was uh, a KPMG estimate on how much the event was going to cost, and I was really amazed. You probably know this: one point five billion dollars to put on the two week Commonwealth Games. Oh, it's, it's extraordinary! It's, I just, um, I just, like, did nobody in in the Victorian government really do their due diligence on this? I don't understand how you can just. Um, kind of miss that figure. But I wondered, asking you as the sports reporter, long-time sports reporter and attendee of several Commonwealth Games, how important are they these days? How important is the kind of the idea of the empire? How important is it, in fact, King Charles and Queen Camilla coming to Australia? 
What's the care factor? How, how, how oh, engaged look, are we? we? Well, we all thought when the Queen died, Australia would, I did, think will ultimately become a republic, but I don't think um, governments are too keen on referendums at the moment. So that has been put off for quite some time, I would imagine. I, personally, I, don't, I can't see it happening in the next decade with all this bad feel. And, and also no one can agree on the model that's going to replace it. So it's sort of an easy model. I don't think the Commonwealth Games mean much at all. Um, they are great TV. Australia wins a lot of medals. It's basically, you know, it, in athletics, you know, you get because you get a lot of the um, S- South American countries and some African, you get some great athletics. But no, it does, with, without America and the big European countries, it means very, very little. You know, Britain is divided into four different entrants. I don't know. I guess if four and a half thousand athletes are taking part, that in itself is not a bad thing. Look, it's a great... It's, Good run in the paddock for it's them. It's a in, big industry event. I mean, we used to, in the sports department at the age, we used to refer to it as the school sports. And really, you know, um, and I, I remember covering, um, well, I covered two. I covered them in Edinburgh in 86. And then quite pregnant with Rose, I covered them in Auckland in 90. And I remember when Debbie Flintoff finished second in the 400-metre hurdles after winning gold in Seoul a couple at the Olympics two years earlier. And she was devastated. And it was also at those Commonwealth Games that Cathy Freeman, running as a re- in a relay, um, won a medal. Um, I think it was a silver or gold. I can't remember, but silver or bronze. But that was the start of Cathy Freeman. So, look, obviously it's a great event to blood young athletes, but in the scheme of things, and there are Commonwealth records that people like to break, oh, it doesn't mean all that much. So I'm not... You know, it was very embarrassing the way it ended here in Victoria. Um, Hopefully, and it sounds like a lot of those big infrastructure builds are going to happen anyway because the government committed to them in the regional areas, which was going to be a big part of the Games. Sounded like a great idea. The higher cost of building everything and all the other stuff that went on, I think in the end, although they shouldn't have taken it on in the first place, I think they were right to abandon it too because it just would have cost the state a ridiculous amount of money. Well, it, I was Googling last night to see who might have put their hand up when the Gold Coast pulled out. No one. Silence deafening. No. No one wants them. So let's move on to another <laughs> big news story of the past week. And that just quickly, is... can I interrupt? Um, we've talked about the Commonwealth. Um, I said to you that I was, of all the people in the Crown, the last four episodes, the first four episodes at um, dropped about four weeks, three or four weeks ago, the Al-Fayed family would be the most, feeling the most maligned because of the way both Muhammad and Dodie, particularly Muhammad, are portrayed. You've watched it now. What do you think? Oh, gosh, I was in a rage, Caro. I was in a rage. About the treatment of the Fayeds? I, 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 was, I, was, I was in a treatment about uh, Peter, uh, what's the name of the um, creator of it? Name's gone out of my head. Uh, he's, this, the script in this one, I, I was... I was just absolutely perplexed. I, I don't know. I don't know what ha, what the sources have been. The I thought Larissa De Becky was um, is that her name? Yeah, Larissa De Becky. She's she, a beautiful. I thought she's, she's very terrific, good as she's guy. She's a terrific actress. Couple too many bowed heads, but she was pretty good. Terrific actress. I thought Dominic West has come into his own as Charles, even though he's way too handsome. Uh, the whole Harry uh, the, was good. The, the suggestion that. William, the night his mother died and he was in Belmoral, this, this suggestion with camera work and looks to camera and that he had an inkling or some sort of 
premonition. I just think that's quite invasive. Um, sort of missed that. Oh, I was really over. He kept looking at the time and the time was actually the time in Paris when his mother was, was in the car accident. I thought though it did, it did show that this was a, a perfect storm of just stupid mistakes, which is Correct. in fact, which is true. You know, the way it happened was just five really stupid decisions and wrong decisions. She was supposed to be back in London. She was supposed to fly out earlier that day. She, she should have stayed, stayed at Paris, the Ritz that night. All of that. But the whole kind of proposal, love, who was, was in love with who, the suggestion that Dodie was a complete puppet of his father, who all his father wanted was respectability and a link with the British monarchy. Um, we know that Fayed was well, that's utterly true. surprised that he never received a note from the royal family, not, well, that, not that we know of anyway, in condolence after Dodie had been killed with Diana. But, but, that, but the, the whole kind of the scheming of it, I just wonder, I wonder how much of that is based on, on fact. I don't know. I, why did I feel, did I feel more possessive about this story because I've lived through it? Whereas the first series in particular of The Crown, I was not born or I was a little child or we didn't know, we didn't have as, oh, we, as much access. We love access. the historic ones. We better. didn't have Is as much access Peter to Peter Morgan, the, by the way, yeah, created the series. Sorry. Look, I, I, I agree to a point. Um, our friend Anna from The Op Shop, who will be appearing on our Christmas episode in a couple of weeks, was thought when the ghosts appeared it was a bit much. But I didn't mind the ghosts. Oh, I was. I told you this morning. The ghost was. The ghost made me furious. The because, ghost of Diana or Dodie? Well, the Dodie. Well, both of the ghosts were just so, so um, forgiving. They were like Diana saying to Charles, like, uh, letting Charles off the hook. Um, you know, I just, I. It is just so well, incredulous. Right. I mean, you're not going to make him pay for the rest of his life. For he, look, he made a dreadful mistake, but he was a product of his upbringing and. I tell you what, if you watched that episode and you were one of Charles's friends, I know that you thought, you said a couple of weeks ago that Charles's friends might have been agitated about this episode. I thought they would have been going, oh, yes, he actually came out looking pretty fabulous. Oh, no, I thought he looked dreadful oh, in the previous oh, series. Oh, the previous series. Okay, sorry, and the, all, sorry. All I the misunderstood friend, you. The Charles Camilla posse, you know, were really arced up. But this time they'd be... But Dodie visiting back from the dead saying, you know, you never loved me, you know, and the father saying, I was always proud of you, I just didn't show you, and... Oh, for God's sake! Well, he didn't. He, he said, "He said, look, I wasn't that perfect, you know, Dad." And you know, I mean, look, I didn't. No, I didn't mind that. You're you're the mystical one. I thought you would have enjoyed that. No, no not at all. <laughs> so let's just just quickly pay tribute to another, like another big news story of the past week, which of, of course is the Mitch and Hitch show. Both Neil Mitchell and Peter Hitchener are have hung up their boots or hung up their microphones. Uh, uh, Neil Mitchell, of course, as the longtime 3OW morning announcer and eminent journalist, former newspaper editor, multi-award winner, and Peter Hitchener, who has presented the news on Channel 9. He actually has been with Channel 9 for 50 years, Caro, and um, he started in, I think it was about 1996 or 1998 as the newsreader. He's had a long stint in the chair and um, interesting for me to read this fact that he started on ABC Radio in Brisbane. And I think he still has a little hint of that elegant ABC voice, that certainly that demeanour. Oh, he definitely yeah. does. Yeah, you can always he tell the ABC bread chaps. I'm going to miss him. I sit with him in makeup every Monday night and used to every Monday and Wednesday night in the years I did classified on a Wednesday. And he's obviously not retiring. He's staying on to do weekend news, 
which is a really good decision. And I think that was, has been imminent for some time. But honestly, what you see is what you get. He is, which I, I've said about a f- only a few people, Bruce McAvaney's another one, but he sits there and he's so lovely and so chatty and so full of admiration for everything everyone else does. And, la- you know, th- he all say, oh, Carol, I laughed and laughed. And you and Tony did this. He, he's just, that's what he's, he's warm. Like. He, just, he comes across like that. And, and, you know, they don't have a huge amount in common, these two, except for being very long standing in their jobs. But what they do have in common is work ethic. Neil's work ethic over so many years. Well, you and I have both seen it. Well, he was your sports editor, my former editor, when I came back from overseas to the Herald um, before it became the Herald Sun. Then he, I obviously worked alongside him for quite a few years. Um, he, I've never seen anyone work so hard. And Peter Hitchener, in his work for the community... And he's, I can't tell you, Corrie, how many nights you'd be going to air at 8.30 and Peter would still be walking around Channel 9 Studios doing a tour with a group of school kids or a group of students or a work, uh, some corporate people. And I'd, I'd go, Pete, what? oh, look, if they want to do it, Caro, we have to do it. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's wonderful. And the work ethic of Neil Mitchell, which you and I saw firsthand in newspaper offices, but even at 3RW Studios, getting in so early, four, five o'clock in the morning, and then still there, still there making calls at three or four in the afternoon. Uh, amazing. How do you feel about the handling of both of the exits? Well, look, I, I thought, well, was Peter Hitchener pushed or did he decide? That's the big unknown for me. And certainly I think in Neil's case, he said enough is enough. He's done that job for a long time. And I'm just concerned about the replacements for the two um, the two people. I'm I'm not a big fan of the the double headed talking the double double headed news presenters. I'm not Alicia a... Loxley and Tom Steinford. Correct. Replacing was the rumor was all year that it would be or two years would be Alicia and Alicia on her own. Then it sort of became apparent that there was concerns about that. Then there was oh, before that. Well, funnily enough, over a period, Tony Jones was mooted to be getting one of those two jobs. He ended up not getting either. He remains a fill-in for Neil and he remains a sports um, anchor on Nine and obviously host of the Sunday footy show. I think he's very much at peace with that. Neil, I, I would have thrown money at someone like Tamara O'Dyne on ABC, who is a brilliant newsreader. And even, even you know, I would have... What about have... Tracy Grimshaw? No, not Tracy. Bring her back as newsreader? No, not as newsreader. I would have even, even um, you know, I would have even sort of approached... Some um, you mentioned before, Tony Tony Jones. I would have even tried to see whether there's a groom, you could really groom him. A lot of people are, are huge fans of him, and he has a certain authority. I thought he was more likely for Neil's job. So with Neil, I think management wanted him to stay for another year, and but he pulled the pin. But he, he's very adamant that he's going to be. He, he wants to be a podcaster extraordinaire, which he already does, and. He he will. Neil asks why. I think Neil Mitchell asks why will be his podcast, and he's very much throwing himself into that. I went to just before I went away. Um, I've been on a bit of a road trip, as you know. But um, before I went away, um, we went to a, the lineup launch of all the new AW people. Um, so um, Jackie Felgate taking over Drive, and obviously Tom. Elliot moving into Neil's spot and Tony Moclair taking afternoons. It was a very, Ross and Russ hosted it. It was a very lively sort of launch and they're all full of, I have no doubt 
they're unusual choices. I think Jackie, of course, was mooted to get afternoons. She's doing drive. I think that um, she wanted she wants a more serious spot, and that's going to be there's a bit of a Herald Sun campaign against her at the moment. But I reckon she'll be really good. And Tom Elliott, people just love Tom Elliott. I don't, I don't so, understand it. I, if I look for Neil's job, that's one of, that is arguably the most important job, or it has been under Neil's watch, the most important job in in Melbourne journalism, you could argue. And I would have just done something really wild. For example, um, I've done a bit of stuff um, with Libby Gore at Disrupt Radio. I think Libby has a great new sense and she's very, very, very smart. Or I would have gone back to Emma Alberici, you know, who left the ABC a couple of years ago. I still think Emma Alberici is a terrific reporter and she has a really good interviewing style. I would have done something just kind of off, off, off. So you think like they've that. been a bit safe? I think they're playing safe. Yeah. The big, the big, the most popular, the big popular one is Tony Moclair to afternoons. I mean, it's not often you see someone go from midnight to dawn. You know, normally that's sort of a career end of career. <laughs> He's sort of come. In fact, Unless you make it your own, like Bruce and Phil. In fact, um, uh, yeah. I mean, they they became icons. Oh, but they were never midnight to dawn. They were oh nights. no, they were they were what were they Gee. ten till Gee. twelve or something? In fact, Phil was there at this. Um, it was great to see him, but it was interesting. I think Ross said to Tony Moclair. You know what's daylight like, and he said, "Look, oh, I've got two children or three children, <laughs> and they're both." I can't remember what he said, but anyway, it was quite funny. It was very funny. Um, so, look, very interesting. Jackie's very much a, a child of social media, has an enormous Instagram reach. Well, she has a great um, news sense. I follow yeah. her, and uh, I, I think she's she's fabulous, especially at a time of crisis or concern, bushfires, or or I mean, her Instagram account really came came into its being. When we were all trying to find rat tests in chemist shops That's around Melbourne, right. oh, she, yeah, and she, the She'd things say, she sees on the road. There's one in Ascot Vale, and then 500 followers would race down there. She has a very big reach, and she left Channel Seven, of course, because they pretty much chose Beck Madden ahead of her to do the weekend news. And so, I mean, it's been win-win for both of them, I yeah, guess, in the end. So it, that, which I'm happy to see. But as as for Pete, it went on too long. The speculation, and you felt that things were being leaked to the papers. And I'm really glad he's doing after uh, doing um, weekends because yep. I think you can you can uh, you can actually carve. I mean, I'm just thinking of Joe Hall when she was at Channel Nine and doing weekends. I would turn to Channel Nine on weekends to watch her because she became a bit of a fave of mine. And I think Peter Hitchener will have the same capacity to do that. Yeah, and I look, I Alicia's a fabulous person and I'm sure I'm sure that she's gonna work. Tom Morris obviously now on Nine News finally having a strong sport news from our podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tom <laughs> The careers we've made, Karen. Let's have a drink. Well, I Let's <laughs> in fairness. Let's get Miles in. He's done some good work. We're going to have a celebration with Miles. Miles Thompson coming in from Prince Wine Store. Search princewinestore.com.au, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. Here comes the trolley. Miles is on top. Miles Thompson, Prince Wine Store. And you have some bottles with you. And, Caro, there are some little cups, which means... (laughs) 
What it, Joel, it, you and I get a chance to have a bit of a taste. I tell you what, Christmas simple. has come early to the Don't Shoot the Messenger studio. Well, Joel, I Joel, for the rest of Joel who's our wonderful producer today in the last couple of weeks, has just been showered with goodies. We've got Christmas <laughs> trees, we've got Cobram Estate olive oil, we've got L.O. Botanicals, you've brought me beautiful roses, and Miles. Love Cobram. What have you got there? Uh, a little got, kit um, bag. I think it's called Limonio, and this is their Mandaretto, their mandarin liqueur. I don't so have like a, a limoncello thing as well. But the, the inspiration for this, the, everybody who, who, who forgot what we were talking about two weeks ago, is that Caro announced that her Christmas table this year is going to have a theme of citrus inspired by the tablecloth, I think, from memory. That my friend Penny gave me last year. And yeah. it's a smallish Christmas, so I've only got a setting for eight. Oh, perfect. And that works out. I'm amazed that you're it's so organised that you actually have and, themes. Oranges so, and lemons all over so it. So Miles has run with the brief and found some liqueurs I don't, or drinks. I don't know what you're about to open and deliver yeah, here, but let's, let's have a crack And we've got it. a wine as well, don't we? Yeah. So I sort of went with like a citrus pie sort of match, like... Oh, delicious. Yeah, I thought that might be good. That's kind of what I matched it with. But, oh, um, the lemon. Have you ever had the lemon tart from Philippa's? No, mm. but I do like that. I really like those sort of citron tarts and things like that. Yep, me too. Me too. Bit of a favourite for sure. So what are you going to kick us off with, Miles? Uh, so let's go with the we'll – go, we'll, go we'll go to the top with the, the – this is called Limonia. They do like a, a limoncello sort of thing here, which you can see is that, that crazy green – looking thing. And then they do the mandar mandaretto, which is obviously mandarin. Um, and they, I think they're from down south. I think they're from sort of sort of Sicily way, Italian, obviously. Um, yeah. And they're just these, they're literally just kind of, you know, like um, mandarins from the, from the region macerated in like a, like an alcohol, so like a liqueur. So which one are we so going like to lemon try? <laughs> the mandaretto. That's the one that I thought. Would yep. you, like, you keep talking and I'll pour if you like. Oh, sure. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's super, like, you know, it's one of those, I think it's one of those kind of great, you know, like Italian products, which is just basically, it is just fresh mandarins picked and then macerated. What does macerated mean? So like left in a, usually like a high alcohol sort of neutral type, like, you know, like a vodka or, or a brandy or something oh, like that. Oh, okay. So right. this, this will be like a, this is a grape spirit is my understanding. Oh, yeah, they're. It's, it's deadly sweet. It's 10 so. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's the colour of a specimen. Liqueur, I think it's only, it's only like, what is it, 35%? That's fine. Oh, <laughs> nothing. That's nothing. nothing. It's anyway, I love that. I love that. I've, I think we talked about uh, some mandarin-based things. I really like the mandarin things. But, and um, so what do I drink this with, Miles? So, yeah, if you're making some sort of like. It smells of mandarin. It literally just smells of mandarin. Yeah. It really does. Gosh, you could make just a nice, a nice fruit. Syrup. So it's it's what yeah, we so call like a lemon, pudding wine or a dessert wine, Absolutely. sort of kind of. Yeah. So limoncello, like limoncello, but with mandarins. But even even this on strawberries. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's Beautiful. it's really sweet. Wow. So very easy to <laughs> a nice little bite to it as well. Little, it's delicious. Mm. So I thought it, that was really cool. It oh just, my god, it's delicious. Back of the throat. <laughs> it's it's actually nicer than a limoncello. It's delicious. Yeah. And how much is this burn, going to set us nice. back? So that's 79 for that. But, I mean, you can tell you wouldn't need a lot. <laughs> it's going to go no. a long way and it'll last forever. It's the sort of thing, you know, all that sugar and that, that alcohol really in it. really lovely. It'll just keep I'll going tell you forever. what, a, just a drop of that yeah, with, a drop of that with um, 
Prosecco would be pretty nice. Too. Yeah, I think you could. Yeah, I can, if, I can think of lots of things we could do. Yeah, with you this. could. You know, if you were doing a little like um, yeah, a little spritzy kind of thing. Mm. Or, yeah, I think with I think with some berries would be lovely. Some berries would be nice. It's not as sweet and as sickly as limoncello. Mandaretto, yeah, extra luxury product for export. So we can get that from Prince Wine Store, yep. this tangerine liqueur, um, for $79. Do yep. we get the podcast yeah, discount? Podca- get the 10% discount off, well. even better. Comes down to the low 70s. Miles, that's terrific. Yeah. And um, you've also bought another one in. We may as well mention that yeah, as so well. Yeah, it's so the, it's the same producer and it's the, it's called Lemonia, but it's just basically done with, with lemons. So. And it is essentially just like a limoncello. So same same thing. It's not quite as intense. I don't find it quite as intense as the mandarin. I find that mandarin quite full on in all the best ways. In, in <laughs> <laughs> and he what, says as he falls off the chair. And what wine? What wine? So s- same sort of thing. Not as sweet though. It's the Fighting Gully Road Grow Man saying late harvest or M- Mulo, I think he calls it. So um, Fighting Gully Road is Mark Walpole. Mark Walpole is a really very well-respected and um, famous viticulturist, but also has his own um, winery up in Beechworth, um, particularly known for doing great things with sort of alt varietals like Sangiovese, Tempranillo, things like that. He makes a lot of different wines, and this has always been a bit of a favourite of ours. This is his Gros Mansang, which is a grape that you see down in southwest France, and in particular, the sweet wines of Durancon, which is this particular region in the southwest, they make these really lovely, fresh, crunchy, but lovely sweet wines from this Gros saying. And it has a really kind of like quince and citrus pie kind of thing going on. Lovely sort of tangy acidity. It's, it's sweet, but it has a much fresher kind of crunch and acidity to it. So it's another sweet wine, not quite as sweet as this stuff here but really fantastic again in that sort of same vein. If you were having, I think, you know, if you're not having something too sort of sweet at, at the end of a dinner, it would be the perfect way to go. So just, just a quick... Served cold? Served cold, yeah. And like, the same the same kind of colour as this? No, it just looks like a like a, 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 like a, like a sweet style white wine, so a bit of a darker colour. What's the other bottle here that you have? That's the that's the Lamone. Oh, that's the Lamone. That. Yeah, okay. Which is which is like essentially limoncello. But I thought I was that was pouring. more interesting. I was pouring, Carol. I was on bar duties. No, Cory, <laughs> excuse me. It doesn't matter. I literally asked maybe. Miles that question as you were oh, sitting down. Maybe, maybe it's the, maybe maybe it's the mandaretto's gone maybe. to my head. The mandaretto has definitely. Well, look, it's not hard. It's absolutely so delicious. So the Fighting Gully Road by mm-hmm. Mark Walpole. How much? Thirty three. Thirty three. Yeah, so for a half bottle, so. For a half bottle. Yeah. Mm, so if, if anyone's matching, just kind of coming into the season and if you want to match, you know, sweet stuff, fruit pies, whatever whatever it might be, if you're matching them with wines, you always got to make sure your wine is sweeter than your food. That's the rule to follow. Oh. Because if, your, if, never your food is sweeter than, if your food is sweeter than your wine, it strips the, the fruit sweetness, the fruit flavour that or that, that perception of sweetness out of the wine and will make it taste really sort of dry and tart. So you always want to have sweeter wine than than, than That's the a real food. challenge with some puddings, isn't it? It is. But I guess if you're having a fruit tart or something, you could probably easily, that's easily fixed. Yeah. I mean, if you're going something like Sauterne or, or, you know, Pedro Jimenez or something like that, those are intensely sweet. And I think they'll probably go up against If I do a lemon or a passion things. fruit tart, I'll often put um, mulberries or something that's just a little tarter with That's it. right. So you, a yeah. berry. Yeah. Not a blueberry or just something that's a bit... Something that's got a bit of... Yeah, I sort mm. of tend to think, why bother? 
I mean, you just... Well, nothing washed. Well, you're going <laughs> for the lemon tart, let's face it. I, mean, well, I like those Davidson plums for breakfast. Of, I love mulberries. <laughs> I do too. No, you know what I mean, though? You know when people serve some beautiful dessert or pudding and they add a few berries, you go, really? Did we oh, really need the berries? To serve it in. Noted. <laughs> no berries. Noted. I do it. No I'm, berries. Gu- I'm guilty myself. I do it all the time. When I do yeah. that chocolate ribble cake over summer, I'm just not getting any no berries. berries. Well, who needs them, really, with that beautiful chocolate ribble cake? Miles, <laughs> they are fabulous. I particularly think that mandaretto. Yeah, that was, that's the star, but I, I really love that Grow Man saying too, if you want something not so intensely sweet. Grow Man saying, absolutely mm, delicious. Mm. We'll see you next week. Yeah, absolutely. It's getting Miles, close too, isn't it? How fine. Final week. No, yeah. second final week. Second final week. Second got, final mm. week. We've got a Christmas special as well. We the do. Week. We do. Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store, thank you for coming in. That My was pleasure. a cocktail cabinet, everyone. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Switch to Aussie owned red energy today. BSF, book screen food. Book screen and Food, brought to us each week by Red Energy. Now, Caro, I'm going to kick this off with a book, Light Over Liscard by Louis de Bernier. Louis de Bernier, despite his very aristocratic French surname, is actually born and bred in England. What did he write that we loved? Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Of course, yep. And Red Dog, and one of my favourite novels, a collection of short stories based in the one English town called Notwithstanding. Is that Liskeard in Cornwall? Yes, oh, Sorry, I pronounce it Liskeard, but I might what be wrong. What did I say? You said Liskard. Oh. But I think it's Liskeard, but I might be wrong. Let's sorry. Call, let's call it Liskeard. Uh, I'll do that. Um, yes, yeah, so he is He is back. He is uh, probably pushing 70 years of age, I think, Louis de Bernier, but he is a beautiful writer and this book does not disappoint, although I have to say it's one of those books that pretends to be something that it's not, or maybe that's just my interpretation. So, so here was here was my the sales pitch that was given to me, okay, and that's why I snapped it up. Oh, and look at the cover, right? So it's quite a whimsical, it's a cartoony cover. little cover, right? So you pick this up, and it says um, it's about a man who works for the government. He's a cryptographer, so works in IT, very high up in the, in in parliament or government circles. He's a on secret missions to save the world. And it's pitched somewhere in the near future, Caro. And the man has had enough of this and decides that he's going to buy a ruin of a place in Cornwall, do it up and live there. His marriage is on the rocks, so he takes himself off to Cornwall and there he meets a cast of curious and eccentric characters. You had me at Cornwall, right? (laughs) You had me at Liskeard. (laughs) Okay. You had me at Louis de Bernier. Louis... Louis de Bernier. Oh, name? Louis de Bernier. So here, so so it starts off. We know that it's set in the near future, and we know that he works with um, he works in code. And what we learn later is the character whose name is Arthur, but he is known in the trade by everybody, including his wife, as Q. The letter Q. Uh, Q has um, a huge weight on his shoulders. And he knows that the robots and the AI technology that he has been part of a team um, developing over many years, he realises that the robots have now become smarter and the computers have now become smarter than the humans. And at the at the turn of a dial, they could all be turned against the human race and destroy. So 
He trusts the current. I've, I've been transported to it. <laughs> he he trusts he trusts the current regime in England, but he is terrified of what the future might hold, and so he decides that he can't simply cannot cope with the pressure of this, and takes himself away from Whitehall down to Cornwall, and that's where we begin. He uh, he buys this rundown cottage on the fringes of Bodmin Moor, and Bodmin Moor, for those people who don't know it, is it's it's it is a traditional English moor, but instead of being heather and hills like. Yorkshire, it's rocky and granite and a bit tough and I hard. I got snowed in at Bodmin Moor one winter. I think it's a bit of a scary place. I stayed at a hotel, a beautiful old hotel with a couple of friends and we literally couldn't leave. Well, I we, gather, had to, we couldn't leave, we had to stay. Well, Q has a number of these episodes where they're snowed in or the weather is so hideous they can't go because the wind is so... Anyway, he's escaped the robots or the bots as they are known and the bots are doing everything. They're rearing children. Indeed, Q himself was reared by a bot who he's quite fond of. Um, they do the shopping. They work in the factories. They even provide sex. They do anything you want and the humans are all lazy and dysfunctional and a bit bored and and everybody's a bit discombobulated. So it's not an entirely happy society. And we put it down to, and that's one of the morals of the story, the pattern of work is good for us, Caro. So he rebuilds his home. He loses weight. Um, his wife, Penelope, is having an affair with a chap called Percy. Um, Percy has an incredibly unhealthy addiction to his sex bots. He has about eight in the cupboard. Um, and and Ben is quite Can a funny Can we get scene. back to Cornwall? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with sex? Um, so, so the cast of characters, the the eccentrics around Q, are I think what what is so special. Louis de Bernier is great with conversations, and he's great with building characters. So they all jump off off the page. There's the bronze man, as he calls him, who lives next door, fit as a fiddle, um, a, a good moor moors man, you know, weather beaten, and his daughter Eva, who is a compulsive runner and grows close to Q. There is a ghost in this house who becomes bizarrely Q's imaginary lover. And just so many rich descriptions of the landscape. And why are we reading this? What is the point? At the point of all of this is that technology is moving too quickly. And as Q, um, at one moment of crisis, he writes a letter to the Prime Minister, who's his former work, work colleague, and says, Prime Minister, I think we should just go back a few steps to where we were, where we once were. Now, Carol, how many times have you thought that or you've heard people our age or older say that? What happened to the home life before the kids had a, an iPhone? All of that sort of stuff. My mother so, still has a blanket. She won't touch a doona. <laughs> okay, maybe it's just a bit. <laughs> Doonas gross. have been in since the 70s. I know. <laughs> I know. Julia is 122. But she's, she so, just loves blankets. She so, doesn't understand Doonas. So I thought this would be a good book for our Zoom book clubs that we run. And thank you to all the potties, by the way, who have been asking me about, tell us about your Zoom book clubs, how do we join. Just follow Corrie's reading. There'll be some details in a few weeks. Sorry, I can't get back to you all. But I chose this one for the book clubs. And they honestly talk about it was like the first stone. Remember when we had that famous book club and there was the left and the right and nobody was in the middle. It was the same thing. So this first, the first screen of book clubbers lit up the other night. There were about 14 of them. Half of them loved the novel. About five of them absolutely hated it and there were one or two in the middle went, mm, it's okay, you know, it's all right. So that was really interesting. Now what makes a good book club book? A book like that. So this, this won't be the best book that you'll read all year, but it will really, really get you thinking. And what gets it over the line for me is Louis de Bernier's beautiful writing. 
um, there's not a lot of Cornwall. There's no there's no fishermen's friends. <laughs> There's no, there's no belt in Galloway. You won't really like this book. Is no, it? no clotted cream scones. Yeah, it's not your speed. But look, you oh, know, come on, I'm slot. I've got a bit more layers to me than that. <laughs> God, I think that's the title of the show. Um, okay, so that's it. That's the book. It's light over. How did you pronounce it? Liskeard. Liskeard. Well, that's the way my mum pro- pronounced it when we went there. L i s k e a r d. Light over Liskeard. Louis de Bernier. Very jolly cover. Not so jolly inside, but a really good read. Now on to screen, and you have seen the film that I said a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't wait to see, and of course I haven't seen it. Saltburn. Well, I, it got to the point where it got to yesterday, in fact, and I went, oh, I told Corey I'd go and see Saltburn, <laughs> so I took myself off to the cinema on my own. Three o'clock on the afternoon on a beautiful day, but you know what? Good time to go to the movies. This film, Saltburn, has been described as Bride's Head meets the talented Mr. Ripley. And that is a very, very accurate description. It is written and directed by Emerald Fennell, the new It Girl of film. She played Camilla. Camilla, Camilla Parker Bowles in the early the earlier incarnation of Camilla on the Crown. She made and had a, a brief role in A Promising Young Woman, which was a, is a brilliant film, a brilliant film um, about the victim or the friend of a victim of sexual abuse starring Carey Mulligan, an American film, a brilliant film. This is her next film. In my view, it's not as brilliant, but it's fascinating. Does it jump the shark? I think it does a bit. Um, my daughter Rose agreed. She took herself off to see it on her own last week. I couldn't make it, which is why I went this week. Um, our friend Mary loved it. Others have loved it. The um, Stephen Rome in the Australian, I think, gave it four and a half stars. Wow! Um, oh, don't get me wrong; it's a great watch. A young man, a scholar, set in contemporary, isn't it? Two thousand and six, and and then into the present day. So, a young man, a scholarship student by the name of Oliver Quick, comes to Oxford. He has no friends. He's clearly very, very brilliant. He's reading English. Barry Keegan, I think is how you pronounce it, is brilliant in the role. Um, He befriends Felix, the beautiful aristocratic young man played by Jacob Elordi, another actor I haven't seen before but is quite truly beautiful, who comes from a famous aristocratic home called Saltburn. Barry becomes friends with Felix. He becomes invited to the family home for the summer because Barry is a northerner, a scouser from near Liverpool, whose parents, um, he tells, you know, terrible stories of their addictions. And and then at one point um, he finds out, he gets a phone call from his mother. He goes round to Felix's room because Felix is starting to get a bit sick of him and moving on because Felix does that because he's so beautiful. You know, he shags everyone and everyone loves him. Um, He tells explains to Felix that his father's died and, you know, the mother's too drunk to virtually speak on the phone. And so anyway, he gets invited to Saltburn, this extraordinary stately home. The parents are played by Rosamund Pike and Richard E. Grant. There is a beautiful sister, Venetia, played by Alison Oliver. She's fabulous in it. And a bizarre cameo by Carey Mulligan of said promising young woman. Um, The summer unfolds. So why is it a bizarre cameo? Oh, the character she plays is... Not needed. Oh, no, no, she's great. No, it's really good. It's just a rather bizarre character. Um, And then there's a sort of dodgy cousin by the name of Farley, who's also at Oxford, who comes for summer as well. Um, 
look. So um, when you say talented Mr. Ripley, there must be something menacing. There, yeah. It becomes menacing. You About halfway through the film, you realise that all is maybe not as it seems. Oh, okay. And it gets more and more. Because at then, this stage I'm on a Brideshead Revisited trajectory. Oh, there's even a teddy bear and they even mention Evelyn Waugh. I mean, you're just going, this is just Brideshead, the beautiful sister, the eccentric parents, you know, blah, blah, blah. Rosamund Pike, the mother, is an extraordinary character. I would she, have thought too young to be... To yeah, be well, Richard the, the, e. Grant's the kids wife. are only like you know twenty or nineteen or something. Mm. So oh no, They're, she's and she's a model and clearly a young, was a famous model and married into this incredibly aristocratic family. So the house is beautiful. The scenes in the house are extraordinary. The decor amazing. The Oxford scenes brilliant. But then you realise it all is not what it seems and. It gets more and more crazy, all culminating in the night of all, they throw a birthday party for Oliver. How many do we have? And, you know, he has no friends, really, except for this family. And Rosamund Pike, the mother, says, well, 100? Well, it always ends up being 200. <laughs> I mean, she makes these bizarre sort of comments about her friends. and Rosamund Pike's 44 in real life. Yeah, well, a 44-year-old can have a 20-year-old son. Mm. That's pretty, pretty normal, I would have thought. Mm. Anyway, it is what happens... Okay. Yeah. It, it, and by the end, I walked out of the cinema going, I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. I thought Mary said, no, I loved it. It, it was over the top but brilliant. A woman walked out. There were quite a few people in the cinema. I'm like, what are you all doing here? Why aren't you working? <laughs> they said the same thing about you. I know. And, and it's Caroline of, Wilson. What is she doing here? And a lot of people on oh, their own. Oh, it's not the football season. A lot of people on their own, which was interesting, which was yeah. good because yeah, I love I going love to that. the movies yeah, on my own. I do. I anyway, think that's an increasingly popular trend. I ordered my hot chocolate. I said, I'm, you know, can life get any better, really? So, But a woman walked out with me and she went, oh, she shuddered. And that was exactly my reaction to the end of the film. Okay. Anyway, that's Saltburn. Go and see it by Emerald um, by Emerald Fennell, who is the it girl of cinema at the moment. And that was screened. Thanks, Caro, for that. Now, on to food. And Caro and our potties, we have a very special guest with us today, Sean Armstrong from Cobram Estate, Cobram Estate Olive Oil, one of the sponsors of our little podcast. Um, do we get to call you Ms. Cobram or Mrs. Cobram? Sean, it's lovely to have you. We get to call her the education manager at Cobram, and you're a dietitian, Sean. Yes, correct. So before you launch into what sounds like a delicious recipe, which I might be making for dinner myself tonight because I seem to have most of the ingredients, including correct. the Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil, Tell us why we should eat more olive oil. Absolutely. So we should be eating around two to three tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil a day. So that's kind of Guilty. the first thing. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty easy to do. Guilty. Um, yeah. So, um, and that's because it's probably one of the more stable oils to cook with. It's one of the healthier oils. One of the best things about extra virgin olive oil is that it has got antioxidants in there. So they're quite important for your heart health, for inflammation, and extra virgin olive oil has got lots of different antioxidants in there. They've got polyphenols, we've got squalene, we've got vitamin E. So lots of different types of antioxidants. And then the other thing that's important about extra virgin olive oil is the fat profile. So I don't know how much you know about fats. Some people were traditionally a bit scared of fat. We know there's good fat and bad fat. All Excellent. I know is I go for olive oil rather than butter. Perfect. You know, have the roll, the little roll at the dinner table at yep. some fancy restaurant or cafe, and they bring you 
Sometimes they bring you two different types of olive oil and some balsamic vinegar, but that's um, never go for the bread option. <laughs> My father always asks for olive oil at restaurants yeah. when they get, bring butter. That's perfect. Yeah. So healthy fats, good fats, bad fats, extra virgin olive oil is mostly made up of good fats. So I think we won't complicate it and we'll leave it at that. But yeah, it's mostly made up of what we call monounsaturated fats. They're one of the healthy fats, particularly important for your heart. So as you'll hear, there's lots of different um, benefits of extra virgin olive oil, but some of the main benefits are around your heart health. And the other thing that's important is that you go for extra virgin olive oil, not just olive oil, because there is actually a difference between the two. Is yeah, that is that because it, it's the first pressing of the olives? Yeah, so it means it's not refined when it's extra virgin. It's the highest quality. It's got the most amount of health benefits. It's got the most flavour, really high quality, and it's unrefined. So that means it's essentially just the first cold press. There's no bleaching, deodorising, any of those kind of processing methods that can happen with other oils like refined olive oil. So there is a difference. That refining process can strip out a lot of those antioxidants that I talked about before. So always go for extra virgin is what we say. So, Sean, 20 years ago when olive oil was a bit of an, was considered a bit of a no-no, in fact, people were on these crazy, silly diets and I love a salad dressing and you'd put it on and people would say, oh, none for me, I'm on a diet or something ridiculous like that. In fact, what you're saying is that it's a little vitamin pill all on its own. So we make a, a little jug of dressing and it's actually a really good thing to do. Absolutely. We've come so far from those days where everyone was quite scared of fat. There was a lot of low fat messaging around. We've come a long way. That's been debunked. Healthy fats are actually really important for your health, not just your heart health. They help you absorb fat-soluble sol vitamins. They're important for all sorts of different things in your body. So absolutely, we need healthy fats. And then things like with the salad dressing, as you said, Sometimes it makes it taste a lot better as well. Like vegetables on their own can sometimes, for some people, not be as tasty. But when you put extra virgin olive oil all over it, it really makes it taste a lot better and it can actually help facilitate some of the absorption of some of those um, nutrients in there as well. So with a big thanks to Cobram Estate, what are we cooking tonight? Tonight we are cooking lime salmon with avocado and mango salsa. So perfect for the nice warm weather that we're finally experiencing here in Melbourne. Um, so I think it's great for like, if you're having maybe yeah warm weather, it's healthy. The fish in there is really healthy for you as well. More healthy fats in the salmon, different types of healthy fats, but yeah, absolutely really good for you. So we're having salmon. So then we're going to cook that in our Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil, the classic flavor. So that's the purple one. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people think you can't cook with extra virgin olive oil, but you absolutely can. That's probably one of the biggest myths that I hear. I do in all my the job. time. Yeah. The Mediterraneans have been doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, uh, you absolutely can cook with it. It's completely stable up to all t temperatures that you'd be cooking with at home. So yeah, we're cooking with the, the classic, but you could use the light as well if you wanted something a little bit more delicate. Um, so what we're doing is we're having um, a marinade. So what you're going to do is marinate the salmon in, um, as I said, the extra virgin olive oil, the classic or the light um, with some lime, some garlic and some salt and pepper in a bowl. Um, another thing that you could do as well is if you are intolerant to garlic, some people are intolerant to garlic, we actually have a garlic infused extra virgin olive oil that is safe to use for people who have intolerances to garlic. So Really? Yeah, Good to know. Absolutely. I know a few people, our friend Lamo actually can't stand garlic, Caro. Yeah. It has a terrible reaction with it. She might, she might not like the garlic-infused olive oil then, but it is. I use that and it's fabulous. Yeah. Well, if she's got a reaction. Well, she loves it, but she has a reaction. Oh, okay. saying yeah. that she, can't, she won't have a reaction. Well, yeah. Well, that's a good tip. Certified low FODMAP by Monash University. So people who have those intolerances or who need to follow a low FODMAP 
diet, um, it's safe for them to use the extra virgin olive oil that's infused with garlic or infused with, we have a So we're marinating it for how long? Uh, We are marinating it for at least 30 minutes in the fridge. Okay, perfect. So then while you're doing that, you can make the salsa. So you've got your mango, your capsicum, red onion, avocado and coriander. So you're just really combining that in a bowl, nice and easy. And then again, you're topping it with the extra virgin olive oil. You can choose which sort of flavour variety you'd like. Again, we're using the classic in this um, recipe, but you can use it. I might go the robust. Yep. That's a great You're idea. A robust kind of girl. <laughs> the capsicum, a red one, I imagine. Yep. Did you say that? Yep. Right. Red. You could use really any. Very one, pretty. Very got. Christmassy. Yeah, the red will give it a nice colour because you've got green from some of the avocado and everything. So I think the red would look nice. But whatever you've got on hand, um, then you're just going to keep that keep that in the fridge until you're ready to use it. Once we have had the salmon in the fridge for about 30 minutes, so it's marinated, we can heat up the barbecue. Um, put on some more extra virgin olive oil onto the fish and then you put it on the grill, cook for three minutes each side and then you plate it up with the salsa on the side and you're done. Oh, yum. Stunning. Easy. What a great recipe. My husband it? might add a roast potato, but that's fine. <laughs> or four. <laughs> Roast, roasted in Cobram, extra virgin Absolutely. olive oil. Absolutely. You can have with whatever you've got at home, any veggies. That would be lovely if you lashed out and had the crayfish as well. If you bought a crayfish on Christmas Day, that would be delicious. Yeah, absolutely. Or just to, just to, I've got some fabulous spinach growing at the moment in my veggie patch, so you could just have a little spinach salad on the side as well. I think so. Any salad that you've got, if you're going to drizzle it with extra virgin olive oil, it'll taste great. Um, but sometimes that little bit of fruit from the mango gives it a little bit of sweetness to make it even more delicious. Sean, I have to say I'm very impressed that Mr Cobram has an education manager within his midst. <laughs> it's really good. What an interesting job. So what do you actually do with your day? Yeah. What, what's involved? It's, it's a great job. coming to talk to all yeah, of us. Yeah, no, it's, that's the thing. It's quite varied. I get to come and talk to you guys. I do a lot of work with other health professionals. So Cobram Estate has a big, what we call a healthcare professional program. So we educate dietitians, nurses, doctors, any health uh, professionals, and we talk to them about the benefits of extra virgin olive oil so that they can spread the word to their patients. I go to a lot of conferences. We develop educational material. I work closely with our marketing team to make sure that all of our sort of health messages are correct. So, yeah, it's a really interesting job and very different so for a dietitian. So one question without notice, Mediterranean diet, yes, yes or no? Absolutely. 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 Yay. One I'm of the so, healthiest I love diets. It. Yeah, there's heaps of evidence on Bring the Mediterranean on diet. Yes. That's why they live so long. Sean, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Sean. The recipe will be on our show notes. Okay, so on to grumpy. Caro is grumpy this week. Probably not about that film Saltburn you mentioned earlier. What are you grumpy about? Well, it's funny you should say that, Corrie, because this is what happened to me yesterday. And I had a few grumpies. But what makes me really grumpy is when, and I don't order a lot of stuff online, but I did order something online and, or in fact, my brother ordered it for me and we put in the notes, just leave it at the front door. But no, sure enough, they didn't leave it at the front door. They oh, took it to the, to the post, post office. office. Oh, oh. That's another, another thing in my busy, busy schedule. So I think, oh, look, I've got 45 minutes before the movie and it was a post a slightly further away post office. Went to the further away post office. We spent five minutes looking it up. I'm at the wrong post office. Go to the other post office which is, as it happens, right near the Como Cinema. I get to the other post office. I park miles away. I walk up there. I'm now, I've now got about 15 minutes to the movie. Well, I that's wa- not the post office's fault. That's. I'm cross already about the fact they've taken it to the post office. I get to the post office. Now, it's about quarter to three. 
on a Monday afternoon. How long? How many people do you reckon are in the queue at the post office? Oh, three weeks before Christmas, I'd say 45. 20. I counted them. 20 people. How many people do you think are serving? Yeah, one. Two. <laughs> every single you person. You were lucky. Every single person has got, you know, banking, as a lot of people still do at the post office, or major parcels. No one's just collecting a parcel. They're all carrying all this stuff. And I stand there for, and then I, a woman in front starts talking to me and complaining and we sit there, stand there and bitch like two grumpy people for about five minutes until the point, and I go to the guy, look, what time do you close? I'll come back afterwards. He said, five o'clock. Five o'clock? I mean, what sort of time is that to close for a post office? I would have thought normal. Oh, come on. Six o'clock or 5.30 at least. I mean, seriously, Corrie, it's Christmas time. Things need to stay open until 5.30. I I was in the post office the other day. That's outrageous. I do agree with the lack of staffing. And I stress it wasn't the local post office where I live because they are wonderful down at Sorrento. And I love my local post office too. But but there are too few people behind the counter for this time of year. Note that, please. Five o'clock. So the entire – there's – I mean, look, I probably – because sometimes they told Did you me get that, the parcel. We're all hanging on the no, edge of the cliff. No, here. because I went to the movie. I didn't want to miss the movie, so I went to the movie. Came out. Post office said I missed the post office by fifteen minutes. I then get an email or a text from FedEx or D whatever it was, saying um, if you don't collect this parcel by like tomorrow, it's going back to Sydney. I mean, sorry. <laughs> At every step, I have been failed. By the postal system. That is why I'm grumpy. All right. That's it. Look, there are a lot of things that we could have done around At every it, step, Corrie. You could have just gone down to the post office a bit earlier than you filmed. The, the, the film has dictated your life because you wanted to walk in here and tell me that you'd seen a new film today, a.k.a. the one that I said to you, let's go and see this in a couple of weeks. No, you've gone off on your own. If you actually Corrie, hadn't done respect, the movie, you, you, don't say with respect. <laughs> My God, you sound like Bronwyn Bishop when you say that. Now, um, that's me being grumpy. Do you want me to introduce six quick questions for Red Energy? You can, and I want to ask you the first question. Okay, let's do it. Let's. Why don't I introduce and say thank you, Red Energy, the wonderful sponsors of our show, and here is six quick questions. And the first one is to Caroline Wilson. Will Carl Sandilands cut it in Melbourne radio? Oh, I hope not. I mean, what would it say about us if we embrace Carl Sandilands? You are in a grumpy mood. Oh, no, come on, Corrie. He's, nah, nah, nah. I thought Carl that little and, mandarin liqueur that Miles bought in might have put a bit of pep in Carl and Jackie O um, are going to be in Melbourne now thanks to, is it Kiss? Kiss FM? And um, so they're going sort of national. I think Carl's, ma- I think he, w- he walked out of the studio last week. He cracked it or he had a sore shoulder or something or they were arguing about COVID or a guest pulled out. I mean... So unprofessional, but that's another thing. I think he said somewhere, if you think I'm going to talk about Australian rules football, you've got another thing coming. I have no interest. He's off to a good start there. I mean, it's not like in Sydney if you don't embrace the NRL. I just think it's a bit different here. We're like two different countries. So, look, I hope he does. It is a badge of honour for me that we can say we would not listen to someone like Kyle Sanderlands. If we start listening to him, I'll be really disappointed. I doubt it'll happen. I hope he doesn't work. I don't think he will. Corrie, if you were advising the White House, what would be your, oh, the old White House has come up again. <laughs> we're heading toward election year. What would be your one big idea to win the 2024 presidential election? For the Democrats, I mean, because I think the Republicans have decided Ronald uh, Donald Trump is their man. 
Uh, if I was Joe Biden, Caro, and this would be my advice to the president. Who I we w- agreed is too old a few weeks ago. We agreed he's too old. 81 he will be next November. If I was Joe Biden, I would lock myself in the Oval Office with Kamala Harris and Antony Blinken, who's the Secretary mm. of State, and I would threaten them with, I don't know, no turkey at Christmas or starvation <laughs> until they agree to my plan, which is I would say to them, kids, I'm going to step aside from the 2024 nomination, the presidential campaign. I'm going to retire only, Kamala, if you say you're not running, and only, Anthony, if you put your hand up for the role, but you have to promise that Kamala is going to be your vice president. Now, it might make a few of the other bods a bit unhappy, like um, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar and a few others, Gavin Newsom. But I think this is the outcome. Now, Blinken himself is no spring chicken. He is 61 years of age, but he has done extraordinary work in recent weeks in particular, travelling the length and breadth of the Middle East, trying to keep stability around what's happening in Israel with other nations. And people say that he is um, he is a clever, intuitive, high emotional intelligence. He speaks um, He speaks fluent French, but he's a real Europhile. He wants to see America become closer with Europe, less so with Britain. Europe's his focus. Um, He has played a huge role in in the Biden administration's response to Ukraine in the last couple of years. I think Antony Blinken actually has a a high – he's highly regarded by many Americans. So why not slip him into the role? And then he can be the – the one in between. He can be the one who's the generational bridge, if you like. I wonder if they've thought of that. Well, I'm very happy to copyright it. Um, no fee. Happy to come over to Washington and just tell them all. Why not? I, you know, it's funny, Carol, because I did actually Google Anthony Blinken, 2024 presidential candidate. There's, there are like only two stories. So I don't know what the vibe is. He's been working. He was in the Senate for six years. He was he worked beside Joe Biden. So he has the cred and the runs on the board and the experience at the Hill. But um, he's so popular. So anyway, that's that's um, no good suggestion. That's my suggestion. Um, what is the most tedious question repeatedly asked of politicians? Have you tried marijuana? Oh, really? I thought you were going to say something like... Um, oh, look, honestly, it's become a big issue in the Victorian, particularly the other house. Do you want house. to be leader? I thought you were going to... Be, do you have any leadership aspirations? Oh, no. I mean, who cares, seriously? That There's a... Uh, two of the um, legalised marijuana party, whatever they're called, in the upper house. And, you know, that's their mandate. That's what they're there to do. I think what's happened is the state government has said they'll look at it. I don't think they've made any promise about legalising marijuana. But then it became this big thing, you know. What do they call it? The... Green, oh, there's some silly name for it, the Herald, another Herald Sun silly term. But anyway, I, I could not care if a politician has experimented or used marijuana in his youth. Mm. I mean, really, it's not, it's not something that, you know, my father used to say when we were kids, bub, a beer leads to a whiskey, but, you know, marijuana leads to heroin or well, these days you'd say ice. Well, I just don't really buy that anymore and I really don't care. I, you know, Bill Clinton said I didn't inhale. 
Famously, Brendan Gale, when he was running the Players Association, was interviewed by Stan Zermanic, another Sydney type who failed dismally on Melbourne radio, about whether he'd ever used marijuana when Brendan was at the Players Association and they were looking at this whole issue with drug testing. And Brendan, he just kept asking him. I don't think Brendan answered. I think last week the Prime Minister, in an interview with Neil Mitchell, said, um, I'll take the fifth on that. That's what I'd be saying. I'll take the fifth. None of your business. Who cares? Tedious. Go home. Just, you know, I mean, I can understand why you don't want to legalise marijuana, but I really don't care if you've tried it or not. What was your, well, what is your 2023 most missed item? My diary. Where's it gone? Oh, you lost it. It, it got stolen. stolen. It was it got stolen, stolen out of the car. They smashed the window and took my shopping basket. I still haven't recovered, Caro, and have I'm you, still realising. You've replaced it, though. Oh, I, I have a little portable one you know, which is fine. But I realise, every day I'm realising there are things in my diary. I realised that all the books that I've read this year, each year in the front of my diary, I keep a list. And it's really lovely to look back at the end of the year, thinking in terms of this podcast, for example, oh, what books have I read? What would I talk about? Don't know. I can't remember. Um, Which says a lot about my memory. (laughs) Um, But also (laughs) things like um, all the birthdays, I put them in at the start of the year in red. And I don't have any birthdays on me. I'll have to go back and find another old diary. Speaking of old diaries, I have old diaries going back to the early 90s. Certainly, I think even maybe, maybe I. Well, you can trace most series. birthdays then from then. I mean, you well, know, I your can. kids' birthdays. But, but, I, I, but, but I always think that if I become famous and I die and somebody wants to write a book about my life, I have from about 1991 every Collins diary or variation of the theme. And people could knit together a most interesting profile of my activity based on where I've been and what I've done in the week. Would it be most interesting, I wonder? So, I think you'd find it interesting. You're in, a, you're, a, you're in it a fair bit. But I, where did she, what did she do in 2023 until October? What happened to? What happened there? The big unknown. I've just got this, this just missing bit of my life, so I miss my diary. Caro, do you have any sympathy for the board of the Sydney Theatre Company? Look, I realise this is a vexed issue, Corrie, but I really do. I really do. So, um, as you know, um, after a performance of The Seagull last week in Sydney, starring Sigrid Thornton and others, um, three actors um, at their curtain call put on um, headdresses, Palestinian headgear, and in a, in a statement of support for Palestine. A quiet statement. A quiet statement. Um, what followed, um, I think they're called kefir headdresses. What followed was, is the fallout continues, obviously. It's been an extraordinary um, follow-up. So the original sort of apologetic statement many felt was not strong enough. So then Judy Houseman, founder and chair of the Sydney Public Relations Company House and um, a long-time big leader in the arts in New South Wales and across Australia, has resigned as a founding board member. One of the protesters, one of the protesting actors, Harry Greenwood, well, his father, Hugo Weaving, the famous actor, is also on the foundation's board. Um, I think um, there's been a... I was reading an article in The Guardian, which um, was leaked to The Guardian. It was a letter um, that Houseman sent to um, the acting board chair, Anne Johnson, who was a great old family friend of mine, declare an interest. I haven't spoken to Annie Anne about this. Gretel Packer and Daniel Hydebrink, she basically um, wanted a one-night pause so the production could sort of re- have a resolution. I think they did, in fact, um, have a one-night pause. I'm pretty... Uh, I think they did. But um, the second statement was a lot stronger. 
I just think they didn't know this was going to happen. I think that they have to show support for actors who feel this way, as well, obviously, for the many people in the Jewish community who have been enormous supporters of the Sydney Theatre Company for some time. And I just think they were such in a rock and a hard place. I really do. And I, I, did you watch the Louise Adler interview mm, last yeah. night on 7.30 Found report? It fascinating. She's going to ruffle a few feathers with that interview, mm. but she spoke her mind. I mean, uh, my great friend, our friend Deb Conway, wore a big star of David when she performed at the Mushroom show on Sunday night, a massive show. I think about eight, nearly a million people watched it across Channel 7. Deb um, justified her actions later in a long piece, which I completely thought she wrote beautifully, and that's her opinion and good on her. But I just have huge sympathy for the Sydney Theatre Company as well because I think this was something beyond their control. They were trying to look after several different groups here. And, um, they, I mean, Louise was sort of slightly critical, I thought, in the end of them for showing more concern for major sponsors than for the and actors. For the actors. Who were, so this and is actually just, she pointed out that actors for, for hundreds of years have, have used, or, or all artists have used their art form as a form of protest for something that's happening in the times in which they live. They wore headdresses. But look, no. it, is, it is very, it's fraught, Cara. You and I discussed how journalists and journalism has covered uh, what's happening in Gaza over the past few weeks and in Israel. And we... We kept it very respectful, as we said. It's very nuanced, and we were very mindful of our audience. It has—I've uh, been made aware that a couple of comments that I made were seen as really um, insensitive. <clears throat> and if anybody is hurt by those feelings, I'm terribly sorry that you do feel that way. And um, I don't know how—I don't know—in my own. Anglo-Saxon clunky kind of way, how we can talk about these things. I don't know how board members who have probably joined a board, an arts board with the best of intentions, when they're suddenly confronted with something like this, how do they feel? Who's advising them? Can we get all parties together and have a chat about it so there's more understanding? Well, the arts community is a community. I mean, art, art and politics have always been... Always just like sport and politics. I mean, that's just, anyway, very, very difficult situation. But I did have enormous sympathy for both sides. Corrie, what's this week's amazing fact? The amazing fact, Carol, is I started thinking about royalties, the royalties on Christmas carols and things like Silent Night and so on. We're not really entirely sure who owns the royalties to them. But in my study, I came across this song. Do you remember this? I'm struggling. Wish I was at home for Christmas. Who wrote that? Do you remember it? Yeah, I, I finally remembered it when um, the last bit came in. Wish I was at home for Christmas. Jonah Louie, 1980, Stop the Cavalry. Oh, yes. Do you remember? And do you remember the film clip? Yes. He was in a, it was in like a, uh, a trench. It's a World War One feel about the whole thing. Um, very, very odd. Anyway. <laughs> Where is um, this going? So Stop the Cavalry, which I must say in Australia wasn't a huge hit. You can't even remember it. Oh, so, no, I do. I remember, I remembered the riff at the end. Um, Louis still earns in excess of £120,000 a year for the number of times that is played around Christmas each year in royalties. Wow. 
So he's 75 years old. It's quite, you know, um, you know, Bill Nye's character in, um, in Love Actually and, um, uh, Billy Mack, the aged rocker who's seen better days and he's lured out of retirement or semi-retirement to record a Christmas song and it becomes a smash hit. Yeah, they change the words of, um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, it just, it, it it has shades of this, this whole story. It's When really he talks about shagging Britney Spears, <laughs> no, I lied, he was rubbish. <laughs> do you remember Boney M's? I'm obviously just quoting a film there. I'm... Do, do you remember Boney M, Mary's Boy Child? Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, it was oh. born in 1978. That song uh, earns for um, earns for them million, like millions. What about the estate of John Lennon? I don't know. It's not on. The, it's not on my. Merry Christmas, here. war is over. Shaken Stevens, Merry Christmas, everyone. Shaken is still earning around 130,000 pounds per year. Actually, sorry, not Shaken. Bob Heetle was who was the writer of the song. What about the estate of Bing Crosby? I don't know. That would be the biggest. Um, Isn't White Christmas the biggest selling song ever, apart from Happy Birthday or something? Wham. Now, George Michael, as we know, died in 2016 on Christmas Day, actually. I'd forgotten that. But last Christmas, which they recorded, Wham recorded in 1984, uh, 1.78 million copies sold and the royalties are up to £470,000. So that's nearly a million dollars. It might be 800 so is the, the moral of the story is write a song about Christmas? Yeah, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas, oh. classic song, okay. I don't know whether you know much about royalties, Caro, but just have a stab. How much do you reckon that the royalties have been? Oh, she, well, well what was the Wham one? One point? Yeah, that no, the Wham was 480,000. Oh, well, she'd be getting over a million, definitely. It's already earned since it came out in, um, what year was it? Where's my little thing? 1994. It's earned for its writers sixty million US, forty eight point four million pounds. Sorry, I haven't got the Aussie there. But I reckon it'd be over a million. Sixty million, sixty million US dollars. Remember, the Mean Girls had had got a big run in that, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, that that which was a great film. So isn't that interesting? So come up with a little jingle, get a bit of airtime, make a curious little video, and look what happens. Well, I tell you, do yourself a favour and go and see Alma Zagir in a very Jewish Christmas. Yes, I have, it's t- on I have the Brunswick- tickets to that. It's on, I'm going, Brunswick Ballroom. I think it's December 19. I'm really excited Me to too. see that. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. Well, I'll see you there. We didn't even know. Snap. Well, well it's, interestingly, a lot of the best Christmas songs have been written by Jewish people who don't really celebrate Christmas. So it's Irving Berlin being an absolute classic. So, um, yeah, it's a great show. Corrie, that's a great fact. There you go, Caro, and it was a great episode too. Lovely to see you. If we do say so ourselves. Oh, we're very smug. Congratulations on your triumph at the Walkley Awards the other night and well-deserved, my friend, and thank you to lovely Joel for holding our hand through this episode. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. We love hearing from you, so join us on Facebook or Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod or email us via feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way to do it is to tell a friend to listen. Your word of mouth recommendations are just so greatly appreciated. And of course, you can support our wonderful sponsors who make the podcast possible. Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers three times. Maybe it's time you switch to Red. Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil. Grown, harvested and first cold pressed in Northern Victoria. And Prince Wine Store, Bank Street, South Melbourne and delivering Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au.